one time I was in India, and I was preaching this little church of about 18 people, little house church. And the presence was so thick in that place. As I was talking, it was like their hunger for Jesus was like pulling revelation from heaven into my brain. And I, I finished everything I had prepared to say. And, and, and I look over and the, and the pastor goes, this is so good. Keep going. And I go, I got nothing. I, don't, I, I said all the stuff. I said everything that I talked to God about from my passage. And he goes, keep going. So I was like, oh man, what do I even say? And more words just sort of came into the air. But it felt like doing something left-handed. You know what I mean? Where you, you feel like you're about to fall down or drop something. So I said the words. I don't even remember what it was. And he goes, oh my word, this is even better. And I was like, this is three times as scary. I liked it better when I knew what I was going to say. And I just kept going like that. And God kept giving me another sentence. And then he translated in another sentence. And I ended up thinking, man... That little house church, that was, what is wrong, babe? You got your, you're doing the whole stress face rub thing, <laughs> acupressure, doing your acupressure stress relief points on your face. Anyway, I remember thinking this little 18 person church has a heavier measure of God's presence than the big Methodist church that I had preached in also on that trip, where it felt weird and awkward and cold. And I don't mean physically, I mean in the spirit. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Where I would love to be at in my walk with Jesus is not, is I, I don't want God to flow through me in spite of me because of his love for others. I want God to flow through me because of me. Amen. As the hosts of God's presence we're bumping into other people's environment, the, the thing they're broadcasting constantly. And I want to be someone who's so, so in love with God and sees the value of the person in front of me that I'm not just going through life on defense to the environment you're projecting at me. Amen. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, where, to where I'm bumping into people in social interactions and I'm coming away going, oh, that was really weird. Did you see the way she looked at me? Yeah. Instead of me, me coming into the interaction and not... Like, I'm aware of how she's looking at me. I'm aware of what's coming up. I'm aware of what is, is being broadcasted. But I'm not, I'm not directed by what I sense. I'm directed by what I know from in here with the Father and seeing people through the lens of the Father. So as much as I know that all preachers or anyone who ministers in groups or goes from place to place knows what I'm talking about with environments, hungry environments, harder environments, religious environments... Religious environments are the hardest to minister in. I've always had favor at Teen Challenge. I mean, people can be sleeping through my Teen Challenge talk. Cody knows what I'm talking about. Some of those guys are sleeping through. Some of those guys are there because they had to be there. Judge appointed them. You have to be there or you're going to jail or whatever. Some of those guys are there because they genuinely want to change. Some of those guys are there because they genuinely want to change and they know Jesus is the how. All sorts of different things. But for some reason, when I'm there... I never get bothered by any resistance. It actually puts a chip on my shoulder that makes me even happier. But something about religious environments make it ah, really hard to flow. Isn't that weird? Especially if you're prophetic, a religious environment makes it hard to flow. And I think the reason is grace 
Grace is the environment where the Spirit flows. And sometimes people who are like, man, just, just playing in the world are more open to grace, are more open to God than people who know everything, think they know, Amen. think they know. So this is, the year, this is the season of the year where we are celebrating already the incarnation of Jesus as a full human on planet earth as one of us. And one of the craziest things we read about the incarnation, I'm trying to flip there now, in the book of John, chapter 1, he came to his own, his own people, the Jewish people, the people who God had formed, the people whom God had called out of Egypt, the people who were slaves in Egypt, who came from the lineage of Abraham, the man whom God met at night, and nowadays we would say he's schizophrenic, boys hearing voices. He's crazy, especially the Christians would say that, I think, because Christians don't want to hear God, a lot of them. They just want to do what the Bible says. It's the sign of every cult. We just do what the Bible says. Every cult says that. Every cult says, we just do what the Bible says. Serious, they do. I got 40 wives because that's what the Bible says. Bro, you're, in, you're on crack. Um, but the people God called out of Egypt and made a covenant with and formed and then shaped their life, their culture, their practices, their habits, their routines, their lifestyle. He shaped the whole culture to make it conducive. He structured their lifestyle to be conducive to their hearts engaging with him as a good father, right? Wasn't that his goal? And then we read here in John 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to his own and what? His own received him not. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is a wild idea. The ancient philosophers said that built into the whole universe is design, is intelligence, is what they called reason or logos. Everything, everything in the universe holds together with logic. And DNA is basically the form or the way, chemical components for how things are designed to operate. But behind that is intelligence. And the ancient philosophers said, if we can just line ourselves up with the logic behind the universe, then our lives will go the way they're intended. I've said this so many times, if you try to, try to take a bottle cap and it's not threaded correctly and screw it on, I was just working on a lamp last night, I tried to take the whole thing apart and clean all the various light, lights, because you know how flies be. Flies be distributing matter upon things that need to then be washed. So annoying. And I'm trying to get the fixture screwed back on. And, it can't, and it's working above my head and working near the ceiling. And it's really hot. And I can't get the threads lined up. And if you don't get the threads lined up, it doesn't work. And these ancient philosophers knew that when we don't align our hearts and lives with the threading of the design of the universe, then we experience anxiety and anger and resentment and conflict and war and all sorts of sin problems that make our lives not what they were intended to be, right? Like, like we were just taking a walk in the woods the other day, me and Isaiah. Hi, Isaiah. And I said, a lot of the, human pro the problems for humans are totally made up. Like we say, let's make up a party. Let's have a party for fun. 
And then all the women are like, oh, no, we got to get a pretty dress. Which dress? That dress. Do I look good in my dress? I don't think I look good enough in my dress. Should I wear these shoes or that shoes? And what are we going to have for the food? And everyone's going, oh, we got to bring this food. And they're stressed about getting, making sure the food's ready for the party. And who's going to go with who? And oh, my word, I can't believe he's going with you. And she's going with him. That's terrible. And I'm tragedy. Oh, this is tragedy for me. And all the stress and anxiety and frustration and hurry and resentment and blame about a dumb party we made up ourselves. That's everything in life. Your graduation, your family Christmas things, your birthday, your job, your career. Literally everything in life that we're stressed about is man-made stupid nonsense. And we could just be standing there like a bird going, I'm cool, it's good, my life's good. But we've invented all these agendas and expectations and all this, right? Because we're not aligned. And guess what? The Apostle John says, hey, you ancient Greek philosophers are right. There is a reason behind the universe. He happens to be the word, the logos, that's the technical word that he, John borrows from Heraclitus, the philosophers from ancient, from Ephesus. He borrows their pagan word and says, yeah, that's my Jesus. If you study the world religions, they don't get everything wrong. They just don't have as much light as Jesus because he is the light. But they don't get everything wrong. And what they get right, they got from him. And they got this right. Okay, so he, John says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, yes. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. And what has come into being in him was life. The, like, you're a living creature because he breathed on you. That's the light in his eyes is in your eyes. This is, this is the crazy thing. Every person you see is made by Jesus for Jesus. Again, Christianity is not opinion. It's universal truth. It's fact. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't overcome it. And then he goes on and talks about John the Baptist, not being the light but bearing witness to the light. And then verse 10, Jesus was in the world... And the world came into being through Jesus, yet the world didn't know Jesus. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and his own people didn't accept him. It's just so shocking, right? Wouldn't you think the religious people have all the clues and keys? They'd be the most likely to get it. Instead, not so much. Some, but only a few. And don't make it racist. Like Hitler's like, yeah, see, they, we, they killed, the Jews killed the, the Lord. Oh, boy. Don't go there. Don't, don't, no, none of you are. But I'm saying some people look at that and they go, see, the Jews, the Jews are the problem. Y'all, Jesus was Jewish and so were all the apostles. Come on, man. I love how John Wimber said it. He's reading in the Bible and he goes, God's Jewish? And his wife's like, of course God's Jewish. Are you crazy? I love that. Did you know if you're in Jesus, you're Jewish too? You've been grafted into the covenant God made with Abraham, and you are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. And the true Jews are the ones who love Jesus, the Messiah, not just are from the ethnic lineage of Abraham, but have the faith of Abraham, and it includes Gentiles who've been grafted in. Which, by the way, it's, it's probably a good idea for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Just something I'm throwing out there for someone to consider. One, what? One week? That's hilarious. We did one time. (laughs) 
Oh, man. I just love that idea. Of, did, you know, did you know God's Jewish? John Wimber is a baby Christian, comes reading in his Bible, and he's like, did you know that? And his wife's like, duh, you dummy. Which reminds me of John Mulaney. He's married to, uh, his wife was Jewish. He's, they're no longer together, but they used to push their French bulldog around New York in a baby stroller. And he's like, because the dog gets tired because the dog's not designed to be alive. Like it's designed to just have breathing problems. You know how these dogs... <laughs> And they were talking about their amazing uh, bulldog. And she says, we ought to do, for, for the holidays, we ought to hire someone to paint an entire uh, Da Vinci's Last Supper with all bulldogs, all the apostles' bulldogs. And then right there where the turkey is, is Petunia in front of the turkey. And he goes, what, turkey? Because his wife was Jewish and she didn't, she didn't understand anything of Catholicism. So, so he says, did you just say there's a turkey on the table in Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper? And she says, well, <laughs> I didn't grow up Catholic, and I wouldn't want to, and it's a really messed up organization. And he says, we know that. I want to know this. What holiday do you think the apostles and Jesus we're celebrating in Da Vinci's Last Supper. And she says, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Just so you know, that's not true. Thanksgiving comes way later in America. Okay. But you would think, wouldn't you, that the people cultivated by the Bible and the commands and the instructions and the traditions would be the most emotionally, relationally open but what you find is very surprising is that oftentimes we use the Bible not to know Jesus, but to congratulate ourselves on what we know, to wrap ourselves in security that we're right because we hold the right opinion Amen. instead of relate deeply to the God of the book. And it's like we saw last week when we were looking at Genesis 3. As soon as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil turned this thing online, the computer boots up, and we get busy trying to be right. We get busy being right. I don't know if, if there's ever been a time in human history more than right now where people have elevated their opinion, their personal opinion, as absurdly high what I think, what I feel, what I believe as right now. I don't know if it's ever been a culture more conducive to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil going running unchecked because your opinion is so valuable. The customer's right. The algorithm rewards the customer. Say what you think. Say what you feel. React. What's your feeling about this? Click like, dislike, happy, sad, upset. Share this because this is what I think and people need to know what I stand for. No, they don't. No. No. Am I right? Therefore, I'm good? No. No, I'm good if I'm love. I can hold the right opinion and be dead on the inside. I can be right and empty. The devil's right about a lot of stuff he says to you. Oh, yeah. But he's dead on the inside. He's 
right? Jesus can use made-up stories called parables to set us free with his voice. And the devil can quote facts at you to deceive you and get you bound. It's about what's the agenda behind the voice that's speaking. It's not about, is that correct? It's about who is speaking right now. See, this is why it's so important for us to learn to recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. Because we can go to church, we can read our Bible. Actually, I wish more of us did read our Bibles, to be honest with you. We can go to church and we can read our Bible so that we're right. But God is trying to call us home so that we're the kind of person that when Jesus shows up in the flesh, we recognize him. Isn't it crazy? Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2, they recognize him and he's a baby. They were constantly in the temple. Okay, so there we go. There, There we go. Constantly in the temple and they're longing for the kingdom of God. So with them, Bible didn't drive them away. It was rooted in the right hunger. It was rooted in the right motive. Motive is everything. We can never rise above our motives. Look, Jesus said, whatever's true in secret is going to come out in the light, period, the end. If you're stealing, if you're looking at porn, if you're cheating on your spouse, whatever, you're, whatever, you're, whatever double life is, you, is real about you in secret, that won't stay secret forever. But if what you're doing in secret is genuinely loving God and, f- and living in the fear of the Lord, do you know what that means to live in the fear of the Lord? Some people think they hear fear of the Lord and they go, that means I'm afraid of the Lord. When actually the fear of the Lord means to treat God with awe and reverence. It means that I weigh him as the most important opinion in everything. If I have to displease someone, it won't be him. If you fear God, you won't fear people. And I don't mean if you're terrified of God. I mean if your chief, like the thing really driving you is I want to know him, I want to please him, I want to honor him, then me getting my way is over because that's done. Me giving him his way is my goal. But also me giving people what I think they want so that they'll consider me a loving person and not hurt my feelings. That's done. And those two things I just said, me getting my way and me giving people what I think they want me to give them so that they'll not hurt my feelings, those two motives are both selfish and they're the normal motive of every human since Adam and Eve. And Jesus shows up and he's the only one that has had a different motive from the core of his being to the outward fruit and perfection. Not saying certain people in the Old Testament didn't have grace and weren't godly. I'm saying Jesus was the only full, true, perfect expression of love we've ever seen. And when love shows up, it's really overwhelming because love isn't nice. Love is devastating. Love will tell you the truth you don't want to hear and tell you truths you couldn't dare to hope were true. Love will reveal things about my motive and, and, and what I'm into that I don't want to face. Just like, oh my word, are you serious? Oh man. And love will explain to me my value in ways that I never dared hope. And then he goes and says this, law came through Moses, 
but grace and truth came through Jesus. Verse 18 of John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. You will not find God unless God reveals God. No one has ever gone on a journey and found God, quote unquote. You didn't get saved because you found Jesus. No one finds God. No one has ever seen God, but God's only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, has made him known. It's Christmas time, guys, or it's getting there. And it's the season where we realize God's not in heaven with a great big old plan, sitting on a throne and ordaining everything that happens in this fallen, broken world. Do you know how much people try to find God through what happens in a sinful, broken, fallen world? It's all the time. People say, Tim, why would God allow this? Why would God allow that? Why would God allow this person to die? Why would God allow this baby to die? Why would God allow this, that, and the other? I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm saying these are the questions people ask me. And they're good questions. Because the question we're asking is, we say God is completely good, right? Yeah. We say that. Yeah. Don't we also say he's all-powerful? Okay, if he's all good and he's all powerful, what am I missing? Because this world is not good. I mean, it's partially good. There's good mixed in with the bad. Okay. It's more complicated than that is what you're saying. But I'm just saying emotionally. Because some people have an intellectual thing and they're like, oh, see, atheism is logical and faith is absurd and it's morally incompatible with truth. Oh, I shouldn't make the atheist sound like that voice. They should have a regular voice because that's just disrespectful on my part. Let me try that again. There are genuinely intelligent, morally sensitive people who say, either God can be all good or he can be all powerful, but because the world has so much unjustifiable suffering in it, he can't be both. Because the unjustifiable completely, I mean, if some people go, well, yes, but God knows that suffering can produce character, therefore he allows it. And you go, would you give little kids cancer to teach them a lesson? Would you do that? You know why you wouldn't do that? Because you're not evil. God didn't give me my cancer, the devil did. So maybe, maybe we're missing something if, if we think it's as simple as good God, powerful God, broken world. So therefore, God either can't be all good or can't be all powerful. But what if this? What if God doesn't use all of his power to control us? What, what if, just what if God has the right not to exercise control? See, we say things like this, guys. We say, God's in control. And I say, mm, he's in charge. He's in charge. Being in charge is not the same as being in control. Ask anyone who's ever been in charge of humans. Being in charge is not the same as being in control. Furthermore, if God's goal in making a universe 
If his, what's his goal? If you like, settle it in your heart, what in the world is God, what is all this about? Why is there something instead of nothing? Because if, you, if there was ever a time when there was nothing, what would there be right now? Logically, right? So the fact that there's something now means something has always been. And have you ever seen a creek rise like above its source? So we know, I would say, no, we haven't. Creeks don't rise above their source. So if we have intelligence, the thing that made us probably has intelligence. And you go, what do you mean made us? Are we going back to this whole creation thing where literally a God stoops down, makes something human-shaped out of clay and goes, and breathes into it? Listen, I, I believe those Genesis stories. Now, do I believe them instead of science or do I believe them as the why and the who behind the science? So the scientists can stand here and talk about billions of years. And I go, that's fine with me. That doesn't bother me. And they go, yeah, yeah, I'll look, but I'll look at this process and this evolution. And I go, that doesn't bother me either because why is still the question. Why and who? And I say it's Jesus. Science is the how. The Bible is the who and the why. You don't have to agree with me on that, but that's my conviction. And, and the issue is, what's God's goal? And you go, well, he's God. He, we can't know his goals. Okay. Where would we look to find him? But the Bible just told you that law came through Moses, and, and even all the people in the, in the Old Testament never really saw God. The Bible just told you the Bible is not the ultimate revelation but someone is. I'm not trying to downgrade my Bible, guys. I'm trying to be faithful to rightly interpret and apply my Bible. The Bible is not the ultimate revelation. Jesus is. Okay, so when we try to find God through our broken lives in a fallen world, we end up using philosophical concepts and trying to logically reason our way to God And it won't happen. We have to find God where he says he's revealed. Jesus. Otherwise, we'll we'll do this. This is what we're going to do, guys. If If we don't find God in Jesus, this is what we'll do. My parents rejected me, put me up for adoption. Where's God in that? Right? Or... My, I, or my parents really loved me and they took me to church, so that must mean God loves me through that. I'm telling you guys, if we don't find God in Jesus, we will find God in a fallen world and in our story and in our experience. We will try to. And God will only look as good to us as the story we think is true about our little life. But no one's ever seen God. God's revealed in Jesus. We can't look to a broken, fallen world to see what God is like because it's a fallen world that doesn't look like God intended. And what's his goal here? I think the Bible is telling us God's goal is he wanted kids. Because he wanted kids, because he had love to share. He wasn't lonely. He didn't create us because he was lonely. There's a new thought, because I always thought it was this way. I thought God created Eve for Adam because Adam was lonely. 
Turns out I was wrong. He created Eve for Adam because Adam was designed to be love. That Eve doesn't exist to meet his needs. I had it backwards. Eve exists to be a landing pad for Adam to look just like Jesus dying on a cross. How's that? And vice versa. But we got it so flipped. Oh, I'm lonely, so I need this person to bring this to me. And God says, no, I made you in my image, which is love. I didn't design Eve for you. I designed Eve for you to love. She's so you can express the fullness you have in me. You were not empty and then I made Eve. You were full in me to pour out on her. Jesus coming in the flesh finally reveals what God is like. And here's what God is like, guys. God is not a God sitting on a throne, all-powerful, demanding that every molecule of his universe obey his wishes. He's, he's not. He's not manipulative. He's not controlling. He's not a micromanager because his goal isn't to have his way. His goal is children who genuinely love. And if you are a robot who can only do what he says, that's not love. So he puts two trees smack dab in the middle of the garden in, in, in Eden so that their choice is real. Because if you don't have other options, the option you choose isn't exactly freely chosen, is it? And guess what? Those two trees are still smack dab in the middle of your garden today. Again, it's not a story about what Eve did. It's a story, well it is, but it's primarily the story of how things are. The Bible has like 40 layers of complex, deep truth that you, will, you and I will not exhaust this side of heaven. That story is so true. It's so much more than literally true. Pastor Tim said the Bible's not literally true. No, I'm saying it's way more than literally true. It's spiritually true. It's emotionally true. It's psychologically true. It's socially true. It's the deep, it's like psychologists are still unraveling it. I thought it was hilarious. This lady gave me this huge, thick book with this Russian psychologist, cognitive behavioral something, something therapy. And I was trying to figure out what it meant. And all of a sudden it landed on me. This, this Russian dude is trying to say that our beliefs affect our, our lives. And I was laughing because I was like, that's John 8. That's what Jesus said. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Or at the Bible said thousands of years before, as a man believes or thinks in his heart, so he is. Or Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above everything else because that's where your whole life flows from. So don't be taking lies and deception and wrong loves into the center of who you are. The Bible knows the... St- the Bible's really helpful. Don't, don't, don't think that what I said earlier about like the, most, the Bible people are the least open to the grace. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it shouldn't be that way. The people with the most Bible ought to be the most open, the most hungry, the most kind, the most merciful, the happiest people with the best sense of humor and the least ability to be offended. Because right. it's not about me and my opinion being right. I'm right with him. I have a whole sermon I want to preach one of these days on the point of denominations Like, uh, there's no denomination that you can come to me and say, 
I am a Presbyterian, and Tim will get excited. I'm not going to get excited for you. That's not exciting to me. I'm Russian Orthodox. I don't care. I'm Mennonite. I feel bad for you. I'm a, Bap- I'm a Baptist. Who cares? What is wrong with you? Dude, what are you doing? That's tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's you trying to find identity through being right instead of knowing Jesus and him being your rightness, your value, your justification. See, people go, oh, yeah, well, we've got we to believe the right things about Jesus to get to heaven. And I go, no, 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 no. I mean, yes, but that's so boring. It's, it's trusting Jesus so that I know the value of my life. It psychologically drives every decision I make when I know that my value is secured and I am who he says I am. Not just fire insurance later. Justification is what every human is insatiably seeking from the first little steps they take at three years old. Two years old, one year old. You're developmentally more advanced than my imaginary child. But self-justification, does daddy like me? Is mommy proud of me? Do I have value? These things drive us. These desires, these motives are the most fundamental human motives. And the Bible is saying your selfhood, your value, your justification is a gift from God. He will do it. Guys, I'm super blown away by faith. 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 God comes to Abraham, Genesis 15. I think it's right after he rescued his nephew Lot. Abraham's 75, leading armies into battle and kicking butt and getting all the stuff back that was stolen. What? Dude bro is going to cut your throat. (laughs) He's old, but don't you touch his stuff. Anyway, he comes back. And then God says, Abraham, I'm your shield and your very great reward. And he says, yeah, but what good is that when I don't even have a kid? I'm going to have to hand my whole inheritance to my servant. And God's like, no, 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 that's not how this goes. You're going to have your own kid. And it says, and come out here under the stars. And they look up into the stars. This is why I say, modern people would say, he's schizophrenic. He's hearing voices. This didn't really happen. This guy needs medicine. He needs mental health help. He needs to be on meds. No, instead we base three religions off him. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. What are we doing? He's, he's unwell. And I'm like, dude, I don't know if you know Tim, but like, that's Tim's relationship with God. It's just like that. God talks to me like that. Talks to you like that, right? Don't you go on a walk with God and talk with God and he talks back and says things to you that absolutely change your perspective? There's an enemy of your soul. And the enemy is attacking your legacy. He wants you to believe that your little life will not achieve what God has promised, breathed over you. And the Father, the Father will call you his friend and declare you righteous if your heart sides with, I trust you. I don't see how it's going to happen. I will go to my grave believing it even if I don't see it. I love the bones of Joseph. Joseph's on his deathbed. He says to his kids, you're going to bury me in this Egyptian soil. And then you're going to be numerous. And then, and then it's going to get really hard. But God's going to come and rescue you. And when he does, dig my bones up. 
and take them back to the land of Canaan because God promised Canaan to Abraham and that promise, that's mine. He died, he died believing that he would live in this promised land. His bones are saying, we die believing. It's not about seeing. It's about who we know and how we know him. Guys, this is our thing. For, for us, our promise, well, we have lots of promises. But our biggest promise is Jesus has died for me and as me. And a brand new life from him and in him has been raised up in his resurrection. And I got to find him to find me. And even if I die, even like Paul says in Romans 8, that all day long we're like sheep being slaughtered. Sound fun to you? But I'm telling you right now, if our focus is on the wrong thing, we'll, even as Christians who know all this stuff, we'll only be doing as well as life is going. Because we're still trying to find God through what life is like on planet Earth instead of who he is, of who Jesus reveals. This is theology, but it's not, this is not impractical. Because a lot of us, we go to church, we learn enough Bible verses to go, okay, heaven is sorted, but then for my identity, I get my identity from wearing the right shoes, having the right muscles, having the right girlfriend, being in the right club, having the right college, having the right car, having the right house, having the right job, having the right denomination, having the right set of religious experiences, instead of him in relationship. And quite frankly, look, it's not going to look the way you want But don't you dare let the broken fallenness of the world tell you who God is or who you are. You let Jesus be perfect theology. Jesus tells me who God is. Jesus tells me who I am. Colossians 3, your life is hid with Christ in God. Your life is protected and kept safe in Jesus with God. Your life is treasure in heaven right now. Your identity, your value, your destiny, your legacy will be accomplished through God sovereignly doing it. Not through you meticulously and carefully managing the the circumstances. If you think your legacy will depend entirely on you, you will become so resentful of the people who hijack it. If you can't walk by faith, then Joseph's going to say, the reason my dream didn't come to pass is because of my idiot brothers. And the idiot guy in jail who forgot to mention me to the king when 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 he got out. And the next idiot, and the idiot who, you know, the girl. Hey, baby, you're looking good in that that bathrobe from Bed Bath & Beyond, Joseph. And he's like, get away from me. Please. You know, she becomes his reason. She, like, I'm telling you guys, if we can't walk by faith, we're going to get so bitter. Bitter at the boss, bitter at the spouse, bitter at the kids, bitter at the church, bitter at the whoever. The people whose story in, in heaven's perspective are the opportunity for faith to rise up. If we see it from heaven's perspective, this is the opportunity for me to walk by faith and become love. Can you, can you access Holy Spirit in the midst of prison for 15 years of being forgotten? Wow, you said yes so fast. I sometimes question whether that's something I'm willing to do. I look at Jesus and how he loves his enemies And I know that that means he can cash that check. When I said I surrender, he can cash that check and say, lay your life down for people 
who will kill you, hate you, and curse you as evil. Lay your life down for them. And let your life be ground into the dust so that it look like a complete and royal waste and failure. And I will raise you up on the last day and vindicate and validate you and absolutely nothing will be lost. In fact, you'll have a greater reward. You'll have a greater reward. You'll have a greater reward. And I go, do I believe that? That requires faith. It also requires me, okay, I can feel it. It's like, okay, Tim, how many sermons are you going to preach in one day? I'm done. 